Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here, FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. At this juncture, I would immediately like to have Mr. McMillan cue up an appropriate piece of music. The Grateful Dead, of course, did many fine, fine tunes over the years. I don't think any better than U.S. Blues from Grateful Dead from the Mars Hotel. Check my pulse. It don't change. Stay 72. Come shine on rain. I observed recently in the paper that uh, it's now been 10 years since uh, Jerry Garcia left us in 1995. But in a curious sort of way, Jerry lives on. In fact, um, his legacy will be joining us today in Sacramento and tomorrow in Davis. His widow, Deborah Coons Garcia, has produced an excellent documentary titled The Future of Food. It'll be screened at the Crest Theater. Today, March 31st, and tomorrow at Veterans Memorial Auditorium here in Davis, we'll be telling you more about that later. And our special guest in our second segment today will be a part of that documentary. He is Professor Ignacio Chapella from UC Berkeley. The thrust of this documentary and, and these, uh, these two events will be how to promote sustainable agriculture locally and nationally, and how to resist the downside of genetic engineering and genetically modified organisms. And uh, there is quite a downside. We'll be talking about that at length in our second segment. To digress ever so slightly about the dead, I, I was only privileged to see them play once. It was at the Oakland Coliseum. They were the opening act for The Who. And I remember so well seeing Jerry Garcia uh, observing the antics of uh, Pete Townsend and company after his set was done. He looked like he was having a pretty good time up on the stage. The Dead were famous for doing their encores. Uh, They only did a couple on that particular day. When they were done with their set, there was a pause, and of course the audience wanted more, and I was shouting at the top of my lungs for U.S. Blues. And uh, I don't know whether I shouted the longest or the loudest, or the most forcefully, but by God, that's what they played. We have so much ground we'd like to cover today. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I do think we're going to have a partial solution in a couple of weeks. When we uh, get our website set up to have some blogs added, 
from yours truly to uh, our weekly broadcast. That should be fun and allow us to get in some stuff that we don't necessarily um, get a chance to cover in uh, 57 minutes. One of our perennial favorites on this show is to begin with the Good Week for Bad Week for section from The Week magazine. The last two issues appear to have no uh, Good Week for that we think is worthy of mention, but uh, quite a few bad weeks for. This last week was judged a bad week for encores after Celine Dion admitted that audiences at her Las Vegas casino shows were usually tired, drunk, and overfed. They just sit in their seat and sleep. She said, Last week was a bad week for deadbeats after a province in southern India hired drummers to play round the clock outside the homes of people who hadn't paid their taxes. After a week, 18% of the delinquents rushed to the government offices with their full payments. And two items that are, have to rank among my all-time favorites in this genre of Good Week 4, Bad Week 4. It was judged a bad week for the nation of Malawi two weeks ago when the president fled his 300-bedroom state mansion after deciding the building was haunted. President Bingu Wa Mutharika ordered the state clergy to exorcise the mansion. And his official minister called for public prayers to protect the president from ghosts sent from the pits of hell. But it was likewise judged a bad week for telling the truth in Malawi after President Mutharika ordered the arrest of reporters who revealed that he was afraid of ghosts. They were charged with reporting news, quote, likely to cause fear and alarm in the community, unquote. We are not making this up, folks. We report, you decide. And speaking of that, the Washington Post reported that Fox News anchors and reporters injected their own opinions into 73% of the network stories about Iraq last year. This is according to a study from the Project of Excellence in Journalism. In contrast, 29% of the war reports on MSNBC and 2% of those on CNN included the journalists' own views. And at the finish of the ongoing strip we reported on last week in Doonesbury, Gary Trudeau had the reporter Roland Burton Headley uh, having his cover blown by the other reporters who were suspicious of his softball questions offered up at presidential uh, press conferences. So Headley gets on the phone and demands a raise, which I think is worth reporting, uh, reporting to you from the four-panel strip. Headley gets on the phone and says, the guys are on to me, sir. I don't know if I can still work at this price point. To which the Secretary of Toadyism says, take a deep breath, Roland. Maybe we can switch over to something less risky like info feeds. We send them out to local TV stations. They look like real news stories, but they're scripted and narrated by phony reporters. Headley, but I'm a real reporter. Well, we find that adds to the effect. We can highly recommend uh, John Stauber's interview on last week's program, which we will have on our website, hopefully by the weekend. I talked about video news releases, and we'll do so again in the future. And, uh, and for those not familiar with the word toady, that means uh, someone who's basically a, a sycophant, one who is a, a, a shameless sucker-upper. Let's do a few minutes of follow-up on previous programs. We told you about the excellent IMAX 
that uh, in the- was in theaters locally, Volcanoes of the Deep Sea. Actually, I'm not sure it was the same program. It must have been with, with a different name. A- at any rate, IMAX in several southern cities decided not to show the film on volcanoes out of concern that its references to evolution might offend those with fundamentalist religious beliefs. The film apparently makes a connection between human DNA and microbes inside undersea volcanoes. IMAX theaters in Texas, Georgia, and the Carolinas have declined to show the film. A spokesman said, I find it's only in the South. Critics are worried that screening out films that mention evolution will discourage the production of other such films in the future. Scary stuff. On a slightly happier note, I would note that New Scientist magazine has reported that it might be possible to create vaccines to prevent prion diseases such as mad cow disease and its human equivalent variant CJD. We're also going to, of course, put up our mad cow show that we did um, on, uh, on March 17th up on our website as well. But apparently they can take prions. They found a way to do this. This is promising. They may be able to have a vaccine to prevent this uh, very worrisome disease in the future. One, one can hope. And we played part of uh, Ira Glass's This American Life for you about, I don't know, a year and a half ago. An analysis of what goes into a fiasco. It was based on a production of Peter Pan, where at one point the actors in this amateur production were suspended above the stage like spiders in a web by people who didn't know how to work the equipment. Well, the man who invented that equipment, Peter Foy, passed away last week. Uh, For half a century, they noted when performers wanted to fly, they turned to Peter Foy. It was his wire and pulley system that gave the illusion of flight to thousands of actors, including Mary Martin, Sandy Duncan, and Kathy Rigby. And in a quote I don't fully understand, he, he explained the technique by saying, you adjust the routine to the capabilities of the performer. If it's someone like Mary Martin, you jerk the hell out of her. It can be worth mentioning for just maybe a minute or two the issue of Terry Schiavo. It's been our opinion on this program that this is a huge distraction. While this was the number one story on talk radio and you know wall-to-wall on commercial television and radio in this country, the rest of the world was protesting the two-year anniversary of the war in Iraq, which is a much, much larger story. We've lost 1,500 Americans. Somewhere between 50 to 150,000 Iraqis have lost their lives. We spent $300 billion on this fiasco. And uh, that was, you know, pretty much given the backseat as it regards to this drama about a woman in a persistent vegetative state in Florida. I personally don't see any any reason to doubt what uh, Terry Schiavo's husband has said about what he thinks she wanted. And uh, uh, taking out a feeding tube to me seems like a, a decision for the family. And I'm I'm just I'm appalled at a Republican Congress coming back from a holiday to pass a bill giving Mrs. Schiavo's parents the chance to appeal. And and this has been going on and on and on. I can only wish that all of these legislators that, uh, that feel they need to get federal government involvement in these types of decisions will, um, if they have to make such a decision themselves, see the government looking over their shoulder and maybe second-guessing what they want to do. 
And as a matter of fact, Tom DeLay, the, uh, the, the, the man leading the charge in the House, who is called removing the tube an act of medical terrorism, we would note that in his own life, when Tom DeLay's father was terminal and his family got together and had a conference and decided they were not going to put him on a ventilator, Tom DeLay was okay with that as part of a family decision. It didn't require making a federal case out of it, literally. As a public service announcement, I think I would recommend to all of you that you have a will and, and some sort of a directive as to what you would like done in the event uh, that the unthinkable would happen. It would certainly uh, uh, make life very much easier for your family members if they knew your intentions and your wishes. We would like to note also that the boneheadedness in this case seems to cross political party lines as Jesse Jackson showed up in Florida uh, siding with the Schindlers, suggesting that they should reinsert Terry Schiavo's feeding tube. But I really do think that these people like Randall Terry from Operation Rescue trying to make political mileage out of this, uh, I will say it is appearing to be backfiring. The, the public, even Christian evangelicals, a majority of them say the government has got no business sticking its nose into these types of decisions. The public at large seems to feel that way by something like a you know, four-to-one majority, which I sort of suspect is why the... Um, the politicians are backing off, and they're going to let, uh, let uh, nature take its course in this matter. Anyway, we think the whole Shivo case is a distraction for bigger issues, and the bigger issues would surround what's going on in the Middle East. I've been somewhat dumbfounded to see um, much discussion in the popular press uh, wondering whether Bush was right about Iraq. We think it might be worth mentioning that uh, the war in Iraq took place under false premises. There were no weapons of mass destruction. We told you that rather confidently on this show before the attack on the country of Iraq. And um, we've now had an election, but um, our anointed candidate, Interim Prime Minister Ayad Alawi, didn't do all that well in the election. And of course, uh, the risks now are of Iraq falling into some sort of uh, religious state with factions fighting one another and... Um, you know, say what you want about Saddam Hussein's Iraq. It was not a nation where women might be beaten up for not wearing, uh, you know, a veil, in, such as in places like Saudi Arabia. Uh, unfortunately, one of the negative outcomes of this war is that uh, that sort of thing is now happening. Women are finding themselves attacked by various fundamentalist factions if they're not dressed head to toe in what uh, certain people think of as proper Muslim dress for women. I don't make it sound like uh, we're defending Saddam Hussein on this program. He, he was a bad guy, but you know, when he was our bad guy, uh, we didn't seem to mind him. And he, he definitely, definitely, definitely did not pose a threat to the United States from weapons of mass destruction any more, by the way, than does this guy with a bad haircut over in North Korea. And I got to tell you, I, I just don't know how it is we're winning the hearts and minds over in Iraq. When you read Newsweek magazine, March 28th issue, page 34, story about um, the orphans created by the shooting at a checkpoint of a mother and a father who did not stop their car quickly enough to satisfy the soldiers with weapons. So they fired into the car, killed the mom and dad. As reported in Newsweek and previously reported in The Economist, uh, relayed from them via us to you, 
Uh, it's pretty clear in Iraq, people are shooting first and asking questions later. They're uh, very much afraid of the suicide bomber. And in this case, when it was near dusk and a man and his, and his wife were trying to drive their family Opal home with five kids in the back, uh, well, he just didn't notice the soldiers up ahead waving weapons and shouting to stop. Apparently, the 14-year-old boy in the back saw the soldiers, but before he could warn his dad, the bullets had ripped into the car and both of his parents were dead. The article quotes the unit's commander as saying, This is bad, Captain Thomas Seabolt. But I'll protect you. There's going to be an investigation. The only thing we can do is to be honest. We did nothing wrong. What disturbs me and I think should disturb you is what's next quoted in the article. Major Dylan Moxness said, Put yourself there. You're an 18-year-old kid from Tennessee. You don't even understand why these people don't speak English anyway. And you're shouting stop and the car's still coming at you? You've got to fire. In case you missed that, let me just give that to you again. This is an explanation for why this, is, why this sort of thing just happens in war. You're an 18-year-old kid from Tennessee. You don't even understand why these people don't speak English anyway. You're shouting stop and the car's still coming at you. You've got to fire. That's apparently from a major in the United States Army. Now, do you think maybe teaching 18-year-olds from Tennessee what the word for stop or halt is in Arabic might be in order? And what happens in these instances, and this apparently happens quite often, is the government pays money to the families who are victims. And they note that it's not an admission of guilt. It's an admission that suffering has occurred, and it's an expression of sympathy. The standard sum for a non-combatant's death and the maximum for a motor vehicle is $2,500. I don't know. When I read that women who are speaking up for their rights are not doing so well in the wake of the war, that 30 prominent Iraqi feminists have been kidnapped and killed since Saddam was toppled, and that with a coalition of Islamic parties controlling most seats in the National Assembly, traditional Islamic law may be written into the country's constitution, leaving women without basic freedoms. I just don't see how uh, people can be thinking that the Bush doctrine is working in Iraq. I don't see it. Do you? All right. On a happier note, we have an excellent documentary we want to tell you about, and we will do so in our next segment. It is The Future of Food a feature film produced by Deborah Coons Garcia, widow of the Grateful Dead's Jerry Garcia. I'll be talking to someone who appears prominently in that film, scientist Ignacio Chapella from UC Berkeley, after a couple messages. You're listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, and I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned. Back to back Chicken check Change your act. 